Thanks, Mike. Good job. Hey, you guys, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Happy Father's Day. I'm excited to be with you guys. Um, today's going to be a great day. I'm, I'm, you know, as we talked about it, even as a staff beforehand, uh, talking about what's happened today and praying and kind of thinking about stuff. I just got so excited. We talked about Father's Day a long time ago as a staff and what it might look like. And so, you know, it's Dad Fest. Um, as you can see behind me, we have sort of a set built. That was built by some volunteers who, you know, have already the idea behind Serve Day in their heart. So anyway, it's just, it, June is awesome. I'm super excited about June. Excited about Dad Fest. Glad to be here. Um, you know, <clears throat> one of the things I, we didn't mention, and we, you know, we kind of wanted to put something together pretty quick for that video, but we didn't mention that the band will be there. We figured this out. They're going to be on a flatbed truck. Uh, and we're just gonna, they're going to play cover tunes for all the hard work that's going on out there. So we're going to drive them around. Play. It's going to be unbelievable. We're, it's going to be such a blast. So you're going to want to be there. One of the things people always tell us too is, as men, like dads tell us and stuff, is, you know, we don't really know what to do. We want to do something, like, for the church. We want to do something in the community. You know, we like the idea of men being together and you know, all that kind of stuff. But what, what can we do? And um, so we said, let's just, let's, this is a, like, Serve Day is an unbelievably great opportunity to unleash guys in the community. And again, not that, you know, women stuff don't have a part here, but there's something about guys wanting to solve problems and fix things, which is probably a lot of the arguments you might have with your spouse also. But you get the idea that guys want to fix stuff and be a part of stuff, so serve day's happening. Love to have you be a part of that. It's going to be a blast. So very excited about that. Well, it is Father's Day. Um, it is for dads. We Our church is for dads. I'm a dad. Some of you, as, as Mike prayed so well earlier, are, you know, are dads, and um, uh, some of you aren't and want to be. Some of you have... Um, some of you have, have lost a father in this past year. Others of you, um, as I know from my own personal experience of friends who are, um, have had a father who was in their life whom they were married to and their marriage is dissolving and that's not, that, that all brings up some pain. And so wherever you are, whatever that spectrum is, um, it's my hope today that you get a better glimpse of, of, of what your, your father, God wants to do in your life. And so... Um, it's going to be a, a great weekend. And so as we gather every week um, as a church, we study God's Word, and we're going to look at that too. So before we get into that, let's pray, and, um, and we'll get into today's message. So let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful people. Today, more than ever, Father, we are, we are confronted with the idea of dads and fatherhood, and it is um, occasionally a confusing and conflicting thing for us. We look at a world who holds dads in a certain regard, which is different than um, we actually experience or feel. Jesus, we, um, we need you. We need you because everybody needs a dad. Everybody needs a father. And so, Jesus, whether we had a great example of that in our own life or whether we had one that left something to be desired, we still know that we need dad. We need you. And so, for just a moment, as we tend to do, we pause. We give just a, a, a moment of stillness. And Father, today would you speak to us in that stillness in a way that is beyond words about how much you love us as your own children on this Father's Day. Father, we're anxious about a number of things. We worry about things we can't control. And in some way or another, we need you to tell us that it's going to be all right because you got us. Father, might that come across clearly today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, 
Well, if you, if you want to take out your bulletin, there, in, in, your, in your bulletin there's an outline you can follow along. And there we're kind of be, we'll be in Luke chapter 12 and we'll be in Ephesians, you know, kind of around in Ephesians, if you're starting in Ephesians 1. If you want, brought your own Bible, you want to turn there, great. But um, uh, as you kind of take that out and get a pen, if you want to take notes or follow along. Um, I, I realized something, you know, maybe you didn't know this. We are, we are a nation of worriers. We worry about all kinds of things. There are things we worry about that we have absolutely no control over. There are things we worry about that we do have control over, but that really don't matter. Uh, this past week, um, we're, our, our family's all gathered on our couch for watching TV. And I asked, I asked Amanda if I could share the story. But uh, we're all gathered on our, on our couch. It's just, you know, me and my three little kids and, and Amanda were right there. We're watching the TV. And, and um, we're, all of a sudden, like, we just, Amanda just does this massive, like, shudder. You know, and she start, and then she, she like, she starts, like, she grabs her neck. And I'm like, and then she's like, I can't tell that she's laughing or she's crying or what, what the story is. So I, you know, the kids are like, what happened to mom? And I'm, they're both, they're all holding like a chocolate milk. And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, the show, we're watching a, sh- a Canadian show called Art Zuka. Anybody, little kids might have seen the show before. It's like not a scary show. They're making crafts out of like, you know, like Coke bottles and stuff. And so they're watching the show and she has this total like shake, shiver, and she starts crying. And we're like, what happened? She goes, ah. She goes, I think I just gave myself whiplash. Now, through like, she's fighting the pain and the tears, I gave myself whiplash. And I was like, how? What, what, what? The dog's on the floor. He's a little dog. I mean, what happened? You know, I, oh. she goes, a June bug landed in my hair. <laughs> so she did like a, you know, whatever that is. And it like, she's like, ah, it hurts from my eye, down in here, my jaw, it hurts in my tongue, everything hurts, oh my gosh. I was like, because of a June bug? And of course, my kids follow my example of empathy and compassion, and immediately all of us burst into laughter, you know, and she's like, you guys knock it off, it really hurts, I got whiplash, and the bug really got me. And you know, now, so a June bug, which is of course a harmless beetle, which, you know, they're out in June and they mate and then they die. And that's the end. That's the June bug life cycle. That's it. The whole thing. And evidently they have one moment where they terrorize my wife. <laughs> now what is, what is held over from that is that my youngest had now believes that all June bugs are like, I mean, they're venomous creatures intent on destroying the world. And so we're out at a park playing frisbee and there's June bugs flying around, and he's like, what's that? And he gets real close to this beetle, and it starts to fly, and I go, that's a June bug, and he screams like it was on the hunt, you know, ah, ah, you know, totally freaking out, because he saw what happened to mom. She got whiplash from this thing. <laughs> we have so much anxiety and stress and worry and fear about so many things in our lives. We are a nation of worriers. We have so much to worry about. It turns out, I, I, maybe so, you guys saw this story this past week, that California is the fifth most stressed out state in the, in the, you know, well, in the contiguous 48 states. Did you see that? Number one is Florida. Sunny and warm. Evidently, we're in trouble. I mean, but there is like all kinds of stress. We worry about all kinds of things. We wonder about how it is we're supposed to make sense of the world when we're constantly afraid of stuff. We're constantly worried that the whole thing's going to fall apart. Some of the things aren't really worth worrying about. They're like June bugs. And other things, they're situations that actually do cause anxiety that we don't know what to do with. And the Bible speaks really specifically to this idea, and it says this in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. It says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Now, notice what he says. First of all, I should tell you, that probably you all know this, like, Probably the worst advice you can ever give somebody who's having some kind of anxious moment is just, hey, stop worrying. You know, like I said to my kids all the time, look at me like, 
it's a June bug. How can I not worry? It's going to kill me. You know, like, but I tell them, stop worrying. But Jesus says this to his disciples. He actually says, don't worry about some stuff. Now, he lists four things that I think are incredibly appropriate. Listen to what he lists. Don't worry about your life. Who doesn't worry about their life? What you will eat. We all worry about what we're going to eat. Not about if we're going to get enough, but probably if we're going to have too much. Or about your body. There's probably 1% of us in this room who wake up in the morning and go, yeah, all right. <laughs> and the and, uh, and majority of that 1% are crazy. And the other percentage, whatever's left over of that 1%, nobody likes you. I just want to tell you right now. <laughs> About your body or what you will wear. Now, He's saying this, Jesus is speaking to people who are already people who belong to him. These are people who are called disciples, apprentices. Now everybody worries about something on Jesus' list. And then he says this, verse 24. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? Now, he just says, you got, there's nothing productive about worry. We know from all kinds of scientific research that worrying stress does not help us to do anything our bodies that we're not so excited about to do. They all, everything about that, in some way, worry and stress do not help us in any regard. And Jesus is saying, what are you doing worrying? To which we all go, you don't really know my life, Jesus, right? Okay, verse 27. Consider how the wildflowers grow. If you, in Greek, it's literally the, the lilies. Consider the lilies of the field. They do not labor or spin, I, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon, of course, one of the, you know, the richest, most you know, famous kings in all the Bible. Now the point of what Jesus is saying here is, which often gets lost, isn't primarily that God is going to make everything wonderful for everybody. Christians have a, a you know, kind of a, a history of Talking about it as if that was the case. Like if, you, if God's here, if you know, you're part of God's thing, you don't have to worry about anything. Well, I mean, like, because everything's going to be fine. We well, don't have to worry, but that's not because everything's going to be fine. Jesus' disciples all died painful, horrible, humiliating deaths. Jesus died a painful, horrible, humiliating death. So it's not like everything's just fine. He makes it all wonderful. The point of the passage is that birds and flowers don't worry. It's that they don't worry. And yet we worry. <laughs> we still worry. We can't stop it. We're good at it. If we're on vacation and there's some reason or another why the stress level is low, there's a moment or two when some of us start going, I feel guilty. I just, I, I'm, the stress level is low. I should feel more anxiety about life. i got to figure out a way to generate more stress or anxiety just so I feel like a normal person. You can't tell people if they ask you, hey, how's it going? You can't say, I, you know, I feel really balanced and level and calm. feel like stress is low. You don't get to say that to people. The people, the way you feel about that person, that 1% person who feels awesome about their own body, it's the way they feel about you if you say, I'm really wonderful and stressed. Like, nobody wants to hear you say, I'm just feeling great. Jobs under control. Kids under control. Marriage, we're all kind of, we're on the same page. Stress is low. People look at you like you're lying. We're good at worrying. Verse 29, he says this. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Pagan world is just simply this. 
This is the world apart from Jesus, apart from God's kingdom. It's a belief system that says that all we see in the world is all that there is. And there's a reason then if that's all that there is to worry. If all that we see, the things that we can have or eat or manage or control, those kinds of things, if that's all there is, then there's probably a pretty good reason to worry. Verse 32. Jesus says this. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Stop worrying, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Well, I think when we talk about not being afraid or not worrying in some capacity, our our fears or anxieties are basically summarized in two broad categories. They're these. Scarcity, meaning there's not going to be enough. Whatever it is that's out there in the world, there's a, certain, there's a limited amount of it. And if people take it and I don't have it, there won't be enough. And so we worry about not having enough of whatever it might be. The intangible things like attention to things like money and prosperity and all those, all, whatever it is, we just go, there's not going to be enough. And so we start worrying. The other category of fear that we tend to wrestle with more often than not is the fear of loneliness. Those twin fears, the fear that there's not going to be enough and that I'm going to be all alone in this world are primary in what erodes our soul. And Jesus is saying, your Father, God, who loves you so much, is pleased not only to give you the stuff that you think you need, but he's pleased to give you the kingdom. So you have this paternal relationship that's intended between you and the Father, your Father. And he's pleased to give you, delighted, or takes delight in, this thing called the kingdom. Jesus speaks more than anything else. Whenever he's got a group of people together, almost always he's talking about the kingdom of God. And whatever whatever that looks like, He doesn't say you get to have a part in it. He doesn't get to say you get to have box seats next to this thing of God's work in the world, God's project of restoration in the world, which is God's kingdom. He doesn't say you get to have box seats and go, look at that, isn't that great? Look what Jesus is doing, that's so cool. You know, I had a reoccurring dream for a number of years. It's a great dream that um, I was was on the Lakers. You don't have to laugh that hard about that. I was, you know, I'm not that, I'm 6'3", and I'm tall enough to be out there, you know, whatever. But, um, but, I, but here's what happened. I was, I was like the 13th guy on the bench, you know, the guy that barely make it through. And I, was, I didn't have, I wasn't like, I wasn't dunking on people. I wasn't like an all-star. I was just like a guy. And they put me in in bonus time. This is the dream. So that bonus time means that, you know, the game is so out of reach. We're, you know, Lakers back in, the, back in the glory days. We're always ahead by 20 and 30 points. It was like, you know, put, put McGuire in. So I'd get in there, you know, and jump out on the court and, you know, whatever. And of course, no one would guard me. So I'd, I'd get a shot. And, and it would get, you know, someone would foul me because it was like, and then, of course, the Lakers look at the other team like, really, you're going to foul that guy? He never gets in the game, you know? And then I'd go to the free throw line, and I'd make a free throw. I'd, mi- I'd make one of two. I'd miss the first and make the second. And I was like, and then they would, then the time would run out because that's all the time that was left in the game because they would never put me in any critical moment in the game. But I made a free throw. And I was, I was forever in a statue. I didn't believe this because it was kind of realistic, meaning like I didn't dominate a game. I missed a layup and then got a free throw. I believed forever. Then forever, forever in, the, in the annals of the NBA, I would have one point 
and 30 seconds of playing time. I would forever be known as a guy who played in the game. That's all I needed. That was like the greatest dream ever. Now, what Jesus is saying is, you are not simply observing a guy get on the floor. You are in the game. You are not just observers of God's great work in the world. You get to be a part of it and sharing in it. What kind of leader says, I am the king and I want you guys all to share in part of it. The kingdom of God is yours. All of what God wants to do through his father and through his son in the world is yours. You see, for us, we don't believe a lot of times that we're worthy of something like God's kingdom. We have an understanding about our relationship with our Father in which one we're constantly letting him down, in which in some way or another what God is saying to us over and over again, we have this belief that says he might love me if, he might hold me close to him if, and we miss out this, this very clear picture God, Jesus is saying to his disciples, God is pleased to give you this kingdom. And it's almost like Worry and anxiety and fear and insecurity and the kingdom of God are somehow totally incompatible with each other. Like the kingdom of God belongs to this person called the Father and it's not just someone else's dad. He's our Father. Where there's permanence and abundance. We get a relationship with God as dad. Dads matter. Dads matter. You know, we live in a world like we're not really too sure about what the image of dad is anymore. It's conflicted. It's a little bit minimized. It's a little bit weird. Even even the the even in spending habits, I read today that you know we spend about twenty million twenty billion dollars on Mother's Day, and about twelve billion on Father's Day. Interesting. We know that there is something unique about the way in which dads have a role in our lives, regardless of our own experience of our own father. Some of you know, I grew up without my dad really involved in my life. When I was about two and a half, my parents were divorced, raised by a single mom. I have no brothers and sisters. And I've often been confused about the role of dads. Now that I am a father of three, it's becoming a little bit more apparent about how much my role matters. Here's a quote I found. You could look up anything. You could look, you could search, you could Google search, why do dads matter? And you'll come up with a million of these exact quotes. But here's just one of them. Feeling loved by their father is a strong predictor of young adults' sense of well-being, happiness, and of life satisfaction. Every single person who feels loved by their dad turns out differently than those who do not. It's just the truth. Statistically, dads matter. We know this. No matter what the world says to us, we know that dads matter. I have friends who um, I brought to church a few times, and they're, not, they're still not sure about church, and, you know, I get that. But they're a lesbian couple, and they have a high school-age son. And I used to be a high school pastor, and so, you know, kind of talk with them. And I ran, you know, these are, I, I ran into them not too long ago, it was probably a week ago, and I just said, hey, how's, how's your son doing? And they said, you know, he really needs a guy in his life. I mean, I got him connected a while ago to a, to a guy at our church to see if that might be a connection. And they actually asked me, I said, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're gays. Did he come to your church? And I said, of course he can come to our church. No one's going to say anything to him. We want him to be connected just like we want anybody to be connected to God. See, dads 
matter. It's the place where boys get their masculinity from. It's also the place where girls looking to find their femininity, their feminine identity, it comes from their dad. Our first impression of ourself, which reflected back to us, and even more importantly, our impression of who God is, comes from our interaction with our fathers. Dads matter. I tell my kids at night, put them to bed. And I, I, you know, I ask them, I drill them on this all the time. And you can tell the message is getting a little bit more muddled as they get older. But I was like, hey, I'm like, my boys last night, I put them to bed. And I go, you guys, what do you always have to remember? And my oldest goes, be responsible. (laughs) Okay, that's a good one. What else do you have to always remember? Don't hit my sister. (laughs) Also really good. My youngest, eat breakfast. We are getting so close to what you always have to remember now. Way to go, guys. <laughs> this is really going to drive the point home tomorrow that I'm trying to make. Way to go. But eventually they get there. My dad is glad to be my dad. My dad is glad to be my dad. I am fully aware. I'm not a perfect father. They, they are too. <laughs> but through all of it, whatever I miss, even if I miss badly, I want them to always remember, aside from not hitting their sister and eating breakfast, <laughs> is that their dad is glad to be their dad. For so many of us on Father's Day, We wrestle with how glad our dad is to be our own dad. And even more so, even more important to me as a pastor, is I wonder how many of us wonder that, that very same thing about God himself. Is he largely disappointed? Is he just kind of holding back on us? We actually begin to think about those very same fears that we have in our own lives about loneliness and about scarcity. We start looking at God going, he's probably withholding something from me. He'd give me more, but... I don't think he wants to be around me. And so our very real fears of scarcity and loneliness come, very, come right to the front and we start talking about God. And I know that's true for a lot of you. See, there's this term in, the, in ancient Rome. People would use it. It's called pater familias. Pater means father and familias means household. And it, this, this, it's a role given to the person who's the oldest male in any given household. And what that, what that role means is this is a person who has, the, it's, you know, the basic unit of any society is family. And this, the, the head of that family is the oldest male in a household. And what this, per, this person holds a power, it's the power of life and death over his own kids. This is a person who is responsible for the health and well-being of those children. And it's a person who has a responsibility for the moral propriety of, her, of their kids altogether. The, what their kids do, they're responsible for. And in Roman society, when a kid was born... The midwife would place the child literally on the floor. Hey, it's a baby. And they'd place the baby on the floor. And the father, or the pater familias, having looked at the child, assessing whether there is any physical or obvious health deformities, whatever it might be, decides at that moment whether or not to keep that child or not. If the pater familias picks up the child, this is the sign of acceptance. It's a sign the child is wanted. Holding the child. If he does not, 
if he looks at the baby and says, this is not what I wanted. That baby is left outside the city gates to be exposed, to die. Now, the very clear picture is, after the very clear picture is that there is a, there is a father holding a child saying, I want this baby. It's then at that time that the father gives to that child a name. The very basic, you know, this very basic like notion of who we are and identity is given by the father to the child. As a side note, it's the, the Christians were known for this peculiar behavior that they had, which was going around the city gates and picking up the exposed children. Which means if any of those kids who were exposed that the fathers didn't want, who managed to make it into adulthood, these are the people that nobody else wanted. Meaning that the church, after a generation, was full of a bunch of people that nobody wanted from birth. They were all the rejects that nobody wanted. And that people took and held and said, not so with you. You matter. And we'll give you a name. So in the book of Ephesians, you have this language that sounds very much like this. Listen to this. Ephesians 1 says this, Praise be to the, to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly, heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Which means, God's intention for every single person, knowing that dads matter, was that you would be given every single blessing, every spiritual blessing. And that he would hold you because he's chosen you. He's, he's already intended that you would walk with him. He holds you and says, I choose you. No matter what everybody else in the world might say, you are mine. You belong to me. No matter how conspiratorial or convincing the world's lies regarding how much we matter are, it is God who picks us up and says, you're mine. You're my child. Verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption as sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he freely has given us in the one he loves. Meaning, he is choosing us not because we have earned it, but it is not only something he reluctantly does, like, well, I guess I'll pick this person. It is he freely chooses, he wants to do this with us because he so desperately loves us. We were not intended for orphanhood. We are born as orphans and God adopts us as his own family. We were not intended to be orphans. You see, the fullness of God, this pater familius image, brings to us the fullness of who we were intended to be. He's responsible for our moral propriety, which he takes care of on the cross. He's responsible for holding the power of life and death over us. That is what God does. And he grants to us our inheritance, this promise of this thing called the kingdom. There are no second-class citizens. There are no some people who barely make the cut. There are only his kids. Ephesians 3 says it this way. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs, meaning the people who are outsiders, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. In him... Through faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Meaning this. Every night, my kids will ask, if we're we're out somewhere, we're coming back from a soccer practice or something else, someone will say, one of my kids will say, hey, do we have enough time for snuggle time? And, you know, it's hard to say no to snuggle time when your kids ask you. I mean, you know, 
It's, it, my oldest is not saying it quite as frequently because it's a little weird to be asking for snuggle time, but he still wants it. And here's what it means. It means that we will sit together for about 25 minutes on the couch and we'll all gather together and there will be a, to varying degrees, some kind of snuggling and where everybody sits is always kind of a matter of contentious debate to make sure that someone is always in contact with one of the parents. I mean, it's like, it's a full, it's like a math problem. Like a logic math problem. If you sit here and my sister sits there, how can I not? It's like this whole deal. And we sit together. And my youngest will like, he'll take, he'll like, he'll look at me like, why is your arm not over me? He'll sit next to me, like right here. And he'll be like, the arm is not around me. Why is your arm not around me? He'll take it and throw it over himself. He he could be angry at me. I could have just busted him for, you know, yelling, whining, you know, whatever else. But it's like, get that arm over me. I sit with him. My daughter will kind of snuggle in the smallest possible crevice of a space and try to fit in there. We'll sit with her. My son will do that. My other son will do the same thing. We'll just, we'll, we'll have this time together. And my kids approach me with boldness and confidence saying, we're snuggling, get your arm around me. I think we're afraid in so many ways to acknowledge that it is us that has incredibly deep intimacy needs that are not being met by the world. And we need God to say, I got you. I'm right with you, and you may approach me with confidence and freedom. Paul says this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family, notice the language here, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, this foundational symbol of our identity from the pater familias, this person who runs the whole show. We get our name from him such that we might live as God's dearly loved children. It's a part of a verse from Ephesians chapter 5, which says, therefore live as God's dearly loved children. We forget that we're dearly loved children. And amid all of what we talk about on Father's Day, one of the things we tend to forget is that everybody here was intended to walk with God, to have intimacy with Him. And for various reasons, whether the the church had burned you in the past, you might have an impression about God that might not be super clear, whatever else it might look like, that they're, you know, I get it. But God's intention for you on Father's Day is that you would know how much you are deeply loved as his dearly loved children. It says this in Galatians 3. So Christ Jesus, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through him. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The word baptized is the word that means immersed, to be placed into. You know, the, there's a, there's like, this is a really lame example, but the, it's basically like this. It's, it's not just merely placed into like, um, like dipped. It's fully submerged, the idea. The baptized into Christ is this idea in which we are placed into. The, the example is this. It comes from, this literally comes from the third century. So just bear with me if you don't think it's awesome because it comes from the third century. But there's a difference between when they're talking about transforming a cucumber into a pickle. You dip it into water at one point, but then you submerge it for a very long time such that in vinegar or whatever other spices and stuff to make it something else, to literally transform the substance into something else. When we talk about being placed into Christ, it means that our whole self is being transformed into something brand new. You see, it's in Jesus that we're adopted sons and daughters of the Father who loves us, who is pleased to give us the kingdom, who is intention, intent, intent on transforming us. And there's a number of symbols in which we capture from the Bible and from uh, a different stuff in the world about how, what this actually looks like. 
Obviously, the most potent example would be baptism itself. We had that right after, um, right after Easter. We had baptisms on our stage. Some of you have seen a baptism. You've been baptized yourselves as adults. You remember what that's like. And there's another picture we have at our church. It's a picture of parents holding their own children, saying, I'm with you. I am for you and everything that I have, all that I'm, I give, I would give everything for you. It's a picture we call, at our church, we call baby dedication. It's a picture of families and dads holding children. It's about affirming their role, which we say, it's us. Now, here's what I want you to capture. There will be families that are going to stand up here. There will be people that are praying for them. There'll be, you'll get this very clear picture of a family holding a baby, holding a child. But I want you to understand something. It's not their kids. You know, one of the clearest pictures for us when we talk, start talking about this idea of God's love for us as his children isn't simply, isn't simply this kind of spiritual, not, I mean, it's not just out there in the wilderness, kind of what do we do with that? The way this is most powerfully experienced is always in community. So these families are going to stand up here, they're going to hold their kids, and you're going to say, that's so great for those families. And I want you to understand something. They're our kids. What we're saying is, we want them to get the clearest picture of God's great love for them. We want these families to be supported in what they're doing because we stand with them because these kids are someday going to be in our junior high ministry and our high school ministry and they're going to be in your life groups and the parents are going to be connected with you and rooted in life groups. You're going to be all kind of, your whole lives are going to be enmeshed together and it's going to be beautiful and it will, picture, will give us this sense of what it means to be connected to God's great love because we are all stakeholders. These are our kids. And we're going to pray for them. And this symbol will be one in which this moment where we, we kind of stand with these families and they acknowledge before us, we choose to raise them in such a way that honors God. And when they're old enough, they'll be baptized or whatever else is that they want to do to pursue faith. But we stand with these parents. This symbol of God holding us because our, our dad is glad to be our dad. So I'm going to invite these families to come on up, and then our elders, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray as we're doing that. So they're coming on up. Everybody's cute, wearing a collared shirt. So good. So as they're making their way, let's pray together while these guys are finding their way to their various spots on the stage. Jesus. We are so grateful that we get to witness today a symbol so powerful of your great love. It's a symbol that's steeped in the idea that these kids did nothing except be born to be loved. Father, we're no different. Might this picture become abundantly clear to us in our lives, not just today but forever, that it's on this Father's Day that you look at us and say, I'm glad to be your dad. Father, we, we receive the name that you give us and the transformation that you are now building in us. And so, Father, allow us to respond in worship today as these kids are dedicated and these families are dedicated and we stand with them as our families.